Cetera, ushers come forward to receive her offering. Our giving on Wednesday night supports the Bible conference in the fall. So let me encourage all of you to give and to put a little something in every Wednesday night. I don't know of anything you give to that will be more rewarded than what you give on Wednesday night for what it does and what the purpose for which it is given. Father, bless the offering now. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of being able to give. And we pray even now, months in advance, that you would visit us in a special way in the fall and for the many, many guests that have come in from all over this country. I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll provide the need now over these next few months that we may be able to bring many more in. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
beautiful Ira Stanfield song. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring in my life, but I thank God that I know who holds tomorrow.
take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 26. Those uh, monitors are cutting out up here, Kim. Are you falling asleep on a button up there or something there? We'll make sure. Rick, uh, Kim, check those because that was what was going on. The monitors were cutting out there and find out what's happening. Exodus chapter 26, while you're turning and finding your place in the Word of God, let me ask you now, and we're going to start emphasizing this now in the services. Uh, we're going to be starting our new construction work around the 1st of May, and we're going to be moving some things and be a lot of uh, changes around here for a couple of months as they do all the renovation work in the back. And as uh, many of you know, what we're doing, taking all the center section and our educational facilities back there, and we're completely remodeling those and redoing them so that uh, we have uh, child care facilities that are second to none and uh, nursery facilities, and which is so important in churches. And so we're completely redoing all of that. And each, each one of the nurseries is going to be equipped with sinks and everything that you can think of. They're just going to be top-notch. We're going to make them first-class and that's part of the work that's going to be done. And also, we will be able to get uh, the uh, new walkway through here. We uh, finally come up with a compromise with the city on that, so nothing will happen. Hold your breath, I guess. In the city, it just depends on what day you go down there, I guess. But uh, we're going to be able to get the new walkway coming through here, flowing from the educational facilities over in, into the new building, which is going to be a tremendous blessing to us and an asset to us and uh, all that. But Lord willing, they're going to be starting around the 1st of May. We've already started moving things. We've got a lot to move. And uh, so, but I want you to be thinking about that. Now, here's what I want you to really be thinking about and praying about. And that is a special gift and uh, to help us pay for this this year. We do our chest of Joash in the month of May, which is a special offering where we ask everybody just to give a special gift on that Sunday. And we take the story in the Bible. And you're familiar with it. Many of you are new, may not be familiar with it, but there is a story where the temple needed repairing. And so Joash built a chest, and the people came by and dropped their money in the chest. And it was for the purpose of repairing and restoring the house of the Lord. That's the only time we ever take the chest of Joash. We take it for buildings and grounds and doing things to God's buildings here. And so that Sunday, which will be the third Sunday in May, will be a special offering. I want you to start thinking about your giving now. Start praying about your giving. And uh, let's really trust the Lord for one of the greatest days we've ever had as far as our giving is concerned on that Sunday. Will you be praying for that? This will be our biggest adventure yet. Last year was a big one as we stepped out by faith and uh, added the addition, the new restrooms, and enlarged the lobby there. This is going to be a bigger uh, project for us, are getting bigger every year. And uh, listen, you think this coming up is a big one. The next one is going to be a daily. Can I get an amen right there? We're going to jump from 100,000 to a million. It's going to be a different story, but uh, we're excited about what the Lord's doing. I'm just excited about what he's doing. Amen? And someone said, you, you, you don't act like it bothers you to ask people to give. No, it don't. You all know that by now. And uh, listen, I, got, I learned a long time ago about giving. I don't have any problem with that. I love to give to the Lord, and, but it's exciting. God's work is built on people who give. But uh, I want you to start praying about that now. Be thinking about it, and uh, 
making plans for that. Like I say, uh, we'll be starting the work. They will be starting the work in about three weeks, a little less than three weeks, first of May, if everything goes right. They're trying to get permits. In fact, we're down today working, getting permits and things, so we're really excited about it. Other things we're going to have you pray about, we'll share a little bit more as we come to our prayer time tonight, won't you be praying for it. In the book of Exodus chapter 26, let's stand as we honor the reading of his word. We're doing a study of the tabernacle on Wednesday nights, and tonight we're going to be looking at the curtains, the curtains and considering those and I want you to look beginning in verse 1. Is that me or so? Is that a bee flying? Do you hear something? Mary Jo's here, Nate. I knew it was something over there. Amen. <laughs> oh, he got all this, all this modern equipment, and there's always going to be little bugs in it. But anyway, Exodus chapter 26, and notice verse 1. Exodus 26 and verse 1. The Scripture said, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and every one of the, the curtains shall have one measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the salvage and the coupling. And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain and the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold and, the couple, and couple the curtains together with the tashes, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of one curtain, four cubits. And the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that is outmost in the coupling, and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. Thou shalt make fifty tashes of brass, and put the tashes into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle. And a cubit on the one side and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent, it shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering above of badger skins. Thank you. you may be seated. We're really going to focus on verses 1 through 13 tonight. Verse 14 introduces the study, subject of our study next week. But let's think tonight about the curtains. Let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, what a fascinating 
object lesson this is in the Bible. What a wonderful lesson we find, lessons we glean from this structure that existed for many, many years in the history of Israel. We ask you, Lord, that you would take our study tonight and may we glean from it, may we learn something from it, and most of all, point us to the Lord Jesus. We do want you to be exalted. We do want you to be magnified. We want you to be lifted up. So I pray now, Lord, that everything that we do and everything that we say, Lord, that, as Spurgeon said, will make a beeline to the cross, and everything we see tonight will draw us to the Lord Jesus. So bless now our study. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I claim the fullness of God in a fresh way for these next few moments, and we'll bless you and thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Let me just remind you of where we have come thus far. You have your little brochure there, your bulletin, and there's a picture uh, that kind of gives you a little better ideal of what we've been talking about and been looking at over the past several weeks. We began by sharing with you an overview of the tabernacle. We looked at it as a whole, and we thought about the purpose of it and the pattern of it and different things like that. Then we began to consider the outer court, that is that fence that you see in your picture that surrounds that tent that is on the one end there. But that is called the outer court. The fence of the outer court and everything within there is called the outer court. We consider that and learn a few things about it. Then we consider the entrance or the gate. You'll notice down on your bulletin here would be over toward your, toward your left side, uh, the picture there, that is the entrance or the gate. The gate was actually located on the east end. So if you always remember the gate on the east end, it'll help you to put the tabernacle in proportion and put it in, give it the bearings that you need to put it in. But we looked at the gate. We saw there was only one entrance to the tabernacle, and that was through this gate. And we was reminded of the Lord Jesus as being the door. Then we looked at the brazen altar. You notice as you go through the entrance of the outer court there, the entrance of the tabernacle, the first thing that you see is this large item down on the east end or on the left end of your picture there. That is the altar. You see the smoke rising from it. That is where the sacrifices were offered. Every morning, every evening, through the day, every day, seven days a week, sacrifices were offered on the altar. Thought about the little lamb they had here in the program on Sunday night. Can you imagine little creatures like that dying by the dozens every day and hundreds every year, dying for the guilty and shedding their blood to make atonement for sin or to represent or to be a substitute for someone else? Amazing thought. But yet that was the place the offerings were sacrificed and the sacrifices were offered, I should say, on the altar. Then last Wednesday night, we looked at the brazen laver. As you come through the entrance, the first thing that catches your eye is the altar. And then as you go past the altar, then you come to a brazen laver. There's where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they entered into the tent or the tabernacle itself. The altar, as we saw, the, of course, the gate represented we come through Christ. The altar is the basis on which we come through Christ there's a, his death on Calvary. We come and put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of the Christian life. That which is to follow is learning to deal with sin, how that every day of our life there must be cleansing of sin. 
how we must cleanse ourselves. Our walk, our work must be pure before God. That's what the labor is all about. So we are saved. We're now going in God's direction and trying to do what God wants us to do. And so we learn how to deal with sin. After going past the labor, we actually come to the tabernacle itself. I've said this many times in our Wednesday night study. The tabernacle itself is actually that tent that you see on the west end of the outer court. And your picture would be more toward the top and a little bit to your right. But that structure there, that building or that tent there, that's the tabernacle. The fence around it is the outer court that surrounded the tabernacle. Where we come through the gate, we've come by the altar, we've come by the labor. Now we come to the tent or to the tabernacle itself. And there are many features about that we want to consider, and we're not going to rush through them. I'm going to look at them maybe, uh, look at them a little bit in detail. And so I want us to begin tonight by looking at the coverings of the tabernacle. The coverings of the tabernacle. Now, the coverings, there's basically two of them. And these coverings that you find in the tabernacle, and this is where you begin to fill in your blanks there and make your notes. The coverings were called two things. One of them was called the curtains. That's what we're going to look at tonight. One of the coverings of the tabernacle, they were board walls, and these boards were held together by these gold bars that surrounded them. These boards were 15 foot high and had these uh, little rings in the side, these bars that went through that held them together and uh, so forth like that. And over the top, the covering that was put over, the first one, or the certain ones, was called curtains. And then the second set of coverings was called coverings. That's, they're distinguished that way in the Bible. One is called a curtain, and the other is called a covering. Now, the curtains themselves were the inner coverings of the tabernacle. There's the curtains and the coverings. And they're called curtains and coverings in the Bible to distinguish between the two. Now, the curtains itself, which we'll look at tonight, was actually the inner coverings of the tabernacle. It was the inner coverings. The coverings, as they are called in the Bible, was actually the outer coverings. When you look at your picture there, you're actually seeing what the Bible calls the coverings. You could not see the curtains, which is underneath these. And only certain ones had the privilege of seeing that. But they were called curtains and coverings. The curtains were the inner coverings. The coverings themselves were the outer coverings. Now, we're going to look tonight at the curtains. And then next Wednesday night, we'll come back and we'll look at the curtains. These inner are the coverings themselves. But tonight, the curtains. These are the inner curtains. You really could say that the curtains themselves were the ceilings of the tabernacle. They were what was visible to the eye when someone walked into the tabernacle itself. These were known respectively as the tabernacle in Exodus 26 and verse 6 and the tent at Exodus 26 and verse 11. The first curtain that you would see when you walked in, that which would be visible, that was called the tabernacle. And it was called the tabernacle because it was the ceiling or the roof of the tabernacle. There was another covering on top of that, which we'll see tonight, that was called the tent, and you see that down in verse 11. But it was called the tabernacle because it comprised the roof of the main structure. But there were two sets of curtains, or two curtains that are found in the tabernacle. There were actually two sets of coverings, but we'll look at those next week. When you look at the description of the coverings in the Bible, you find their name from the inside out. 
So let's start on the inside with the curtains, the inner coverings, and let's look at them tonight. First of all, I want you to think with me about the first inner curtain. The first inner curtain. Verse 1 of our text said, in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 1, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. There's our word, curtains, and indicating that this is the inner curtains. The first inner curtain that I want to consider tonight, again, is the one that was visible to the eye. When the high priest walked through the first veil, the door, to go inside, when he looked up, he would see the first curtain that we're looking at right now, the inner curtain which made up the ceiling. Now, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 1 that this first curtain was made of fine twine linen. Fine twine linen, verse 1. It speaks of ten curtains of fine twine linen. You notice also in verse 1 that the colors that were involved in the, this particular curtain there. You find that these curtains, were, these colors were involved. There was the color blue, and there was the color purple in verse 1, and the color scarlet in verse 1. And you'll also find that it was further beautified by cherubims that were weaved into the fabric. So the first curtain, the inner curtain, the ceiling of the tabernacle was made of fine twine linen and, and weaved and embroidered throughout this fine twine linen was blue, purple, and scarlet and these cherubims that were weaved into the fabric. Verse 1 also tells us that these curtains were ten in number and they were arranged in two sets of five. You'll notice in verse 1 again, it said, Thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. And you read down in verse 3, The five curtains shall be coupled together. Verse 1 and 3 indicates that there were ten curtains in number, but they were arranged in two sets of five. Now, verse 2 tells us the measurements or gives us the measurements of these curtains. Verse 2, the length of one curtain shall be 8 and 20 cubits, and the breadth of one curtain, 4 cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. So there were two of them, but this was the measurement. Each one of them measured 28 cubits in length, 28 cubits long, which you break it down a cubit is an average of 18 inches, and the way they, what a cubit was, and those days was it really was a measurement from the elbow down, so it roughly comes out to about 18 inches. So uh, 28 cubits would work out to 42 feet in length. Each one of these curtains was 42 feet long, and the Bible said they were four cubits wide. That measures out to about six foot. So there were two of them, each of them again, 42 feet long and six foot wide. Look at verse 3. These five curtains, or the five curtains, shall be coupled together as one, or shall be coupled together, coupled together one to another, and other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. Verse 3 tells us that they were sewn together in two sets of five. It's five curtains that were put together. These five curtains were sewn together, making one curtain. Now, the other five were sewn together making one curtain, but they were sewn together in two sets of five. Verses 4 and 5, the Bible tells us, Thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain, 
And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Verse 5, 50 loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and 50 loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second. Verse 4 and 5 tells us that 50 loops of blue were added to the edge of each of the two sets. Again, you had five curtains that were sewn together, making one curtain, giving you two curtains. There were ten in all, ten pieces sewn together in two different sets. And on the edge of those, and if you'll picture, if you look at your picture there, they would meet somewhere in the top, in the center. And they had these loops of blue on the edge where they came together. On the very top there, they came together, these loops of uh, blue. And the reason they had these loops, verse 6 tells us, And thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold and couple the curtains together. They'd have these loops where they were brought together and they would take these tashes, as they're called, or clasps, as we might call them. And when they put the loops together, these gold clasps were put through, forming one long drape that fell over the tabernacle itself. Two sections, really ten, put together in two sections and then brought together in these loops and these claps here would pull them together, leaving this large drape that fell over the tabernacle. You find as you look at the measurements there and the measurements of the tabernacle that the complete curtain stretched breathwise across the tabernacle. That would be north to south. As you can see your picture there, you see how it comes over. That's the outer curtain there. We'll look at it later on, but you see how it comes over breadthwise and it's pulled down. But the measurements would give us where it covered the breadthwise of the tabernacle. You remember we gave the measurements of the tabernacle that it's 10 cubits wide and it's 50, or 10 cubits high. That's about 15 by 15. When you take the measurements of these coverings or this inside curtain, then you begin to realize that it completely came across the top and came down both sides. It came off the ground about one cubit, the Bible said, which would be about 18 inches. It didn't go all the way down the ground, but this inner curtain simply went across the top and draped down the side. The picture you see is the badger skins. It's pulled and fastened down. It tied everything down. But this inner curtain came across the top, draped down the sides about a half, and stopped about an inch or about a foot and a half off from the ground. It did not fall across the front. It had a veil or a door, which we'll consider later on. But the measurements would indicate, and the Scripture said, that it fell across the back end or the west end, and it came down. So from the two sides, north and south, and the west end, which would be the back side, it completely covered the walls and the top and the sides of the tabernacle, again, coming about a foot and a half off the ground. Again, as I said in the very beginning, this curtain formed the ceiling of the tabernacle. Now, here's what's so interesting about it. Only the priest had the privilege of seeing this inner curtain. Again, this is a beautiful garment, and this is a beautiful piece of embroidered work, white with the gold and the purple and the scarlet on it and the blue and the, the gold really being the cherubims on there. It was just a beautiful, breathtaking uh, ceiling when you walked in, a, a, a blanket or something that stretched across the top. But only the priest had the opportunity of seeing that. Anyone else was on the outside, all they saw was old drab porpoise skins, badger skins, the Bible calls. That's all they saw, just old drab gray-looking cover. But to the priest that walked on the inside, he saw the beauty of the inside. 
He saw the glory that was demonstrated in it. But only those who ministered within the holy place and the holies of holies could see the beauty of this inner curtain. Now, this inner curtain speaks of the glory of the Lord Jesus that is only seen by those who enter into his presence and only seen by those who draw nigh to God. You see, there's something about living for God. And there's something about serving the Lord. And, and once you are saved, then learn to take sin seriously and to live a clean life and to draw near to God and come into the presence of God. There's something about drawing nigh to God and there's something about coming to His presence that brings blessings in your life that you can't enjoy any other way. For those who walk with God and for those who know God and for those who live in the presence of God, get in the holy place, you might say. There's things about Christ you'll see that nobody else sees. And there's things about God you will learn that nobody else will learn. Why is it that so many Christians you'll find their lives are so average and they have such a difficulty getting excited and stirred about Christ and excited and stirred about being born again? It's they live out here in the outer court. But as a believer, God wants us to grow and to progress and to get in the holy place. And when you get in the holy place, you see Christ in a way that you can't see him any other way. And when you begin to see him that way, he captivates your heart. And you find yourself in worship, in adoration, and submission to him. I find if a man ever gets in the holy place, he'll never have any trouble doing the will of God. If he ever gets in there and he sees Christ in all of his glory and sees him in all of his majesty and sees Christ in a light, then all you can see as you walk with God, you won't have any problems serving the Lord. I think about John 1.14. The Bible said, And the Word was made flesh. John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt that John used is a word that literally means tabernacled among us. And the picture is of the tabernacle. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh, and he tabernacled among men. But John 1.14 has an interesting statement to make. As he tabernacled among men, John said, We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John knew a little bit about seeing the inner curtain, you might say. John knew a little bit about going the extra mile. He saw Christ, and he was in his presence, and he walked with him day by day, and he fellowshiped with him day by day. And John said, as he tabernacled among us, we beheld his glory, and we beheld his grace. I'm saying to you tonight, friend, if you really want to see Christ as he really is, walk with God, live a clean life, get in his presence, and you'll see him in a light that you'll not see in any other way. Amen? And that's what we want to get to. Our hearts just been captivated with him. But the Bible talks about the colors. We mentioned them. Let me just point out a few things about the materials that were used in this inner curtain. Each one of them represents something. Take the linen. The linen represents the purity of Jesus. The white linen representing his righteousness, representing his purity. Not just as God without sin, but on earth. This is a tabernacle dwelling on earth, and we have Christ being represented on earth. And even on earth, we find him in all of his purity. And we find him in all of his righteousness. 
see the Lord Jesus was a sinless one. Never sinned, could not sin, did not want to sin. He was the absolute sinless one. The linen is symbolic of his, the purity of Jesus. The blue is symbolic of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Blue is the heavenly color. That he was not only man, but he was God as well. He was the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Purple is symbolic of the majesty of Jesus Christ. That is the color of royalty. It's what a king would wear. Jesus Christ was the sinless one. He was the sovereign one, but he was the majestic one. He was king. Scarlet is symbolic not only of his, of his purity and of his divinity and of his majesty, but scarlet is symbolic of the humility of Jesus Christ. And I say humility because the word scarlet itself comes from basically two source, or from one, but it has this ideal. You remember the first man? His name was Adam. You know what the name Adam means? It means red earth, man of the earth, red earth, red dirt. God formed him of the earth and of the dirt of the dust of the ground, the red clay that is so popular in, in the Holy Land. God reached down and he took the red clay and he made woman and, named, and made man and he named him Adam, red earth, meaning this is what Adam was made of. Scarlet is rendered, and when it talks about scarlet and the red, it's talking about has the ideal of Christ becoming man. He was the sinless one. He was the divine one. He was the majestic one. But there is that point, of, there is that act of his humility where he robed himself with humanity. He laid aside his crown, robed himself with human flesh, and came to this earth and humbled himself, as Philippians said, as a man. Some margin, in the margins of some Bible, Bibles, you'll find the word scarlet. You'll find that it's translated worm and scarlet. And the ideal is of that certain insect from which a certain dye was taken, the scarlet dye, the dye, the dye garment scarlet. And like Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The scarlet, again, being the worm scarlet, that little insect that died in order that the color could be brought out and got out for a dye. That which is speaking, of course, being symbolic of death, the shedding of blood. Christ in his humility, even though he was a sinless one, even was a divine one, and even though he was a majestic one, he robed himself in flesh and he came for one reason, to die. You've heard me, uh, Luke chapter 2, describe before, where Mary wrapped her son in swaddling her babe in swaddling clothes was more than pretty little blue blankets she wrapped her boy in. The word swaddling literally means a death shroud. When Mary, when Jesus was born, his mother wrapped him in a death shroud. It's like in the very beginning, it was very evident that this child had been born to die. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he humbled himself. He was a great teacher, but he didn't come to be a great teacher. He's a miracle worker, but he didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to die. 
To this end was I born, he told Pilate. That was his humility. But the cherubims themselves are symbolic of the severity of Jesus Christ. Not only of his purity represented by the linen, and his divinity represented by the blue, and his majesty represented by the purple, and the humility represented by the scarlet, but his severity represented by the cherubims. For as you look at the Bible and you follow cherubims, you'll find that cherubims are God's messengers of judgment. They're God's messengers of protection. You remember when Adam and Eve was cast out of the garden, God put two cherubims to guard the gate where they could not get in. They were there because man had sinned, and part of their judgment on sin was they could no longer dwell in the home that God had given them. And so it was an act of judgment. You'll find all through the Bible that cherubims are messengers of the judgment of God, reminding us that He is one that died for us, but He's also a God that judges. In other words, what I'm saying is as you walk with God and serve God, as you come in, you begin to see Christ in all the glory of his person and his uh, power and who he is, uh, just seeing Christ in a way that you've never seen him before. More than just Jesus, but being brought face to face with who he is, and seeing him in his humility and seeing him in his divinity and seeing him in his majesty, seeing him in his purity, even his severity, seeing Christ. Now, that's how you want to live your life so that Jesus becomes real. I, I guess you could say Paul had been on the inside when he said, for to me to live is Christ. Paul said, I'm not living for anything but just Jesus. I got a glimpse of Christ. He's big to me. He's magnified in my life. And I am so, he said, my whole life is dedicated to him. That's the inner curtain, the first one. But then quickly, let me hasten on and got about five minutes and be through here. And that's the second inner curtain. Look in verse 7. Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair. That indicates we're talking about another curtain now. The first one in verse 1 was of fine twine linen. That's the one that formed the actual ceiling. But this curtain in verse 7 was spoken of as the tent in Exodus chapter 36. And the first one was spoken of as the tabernacle in verse 1. So you might say the first inner curtain, which you would see to the eye, was a tabernacle. And this one that's draped over it is the tent. Verse 7 says, And thou shalt make a curtains of goat hair, goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. A covering upon the covering we just looked at, the one that is called the tabernacle. It is a covering that was placed over the first curtain. So you got two curtains here. The first one is a tabernacle, and now you got a tent going over it. you got another curtain that's being draped over the first curtain the one that was seen by the high priest. Verse 26, 7, or verse chapter 26 and verse 7 tells us that it was made of goat's hair, draped over the first one, but this one was made of goat's hair. Verse 7 tells us that it was made up of a set of 11 sections. The first curtain, inner curtain, was made up of 10 sections, two sets of five sewn together, coupled together, making one. But this one is actually made up of 11 sections. And we'll show you what the odd section was for in just a moment. Verse 8 tells us, The measurements, the length of one curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of one curtain, 
four cubits. Now, this is a little bigger than the first one. Each of these these coverings in the second ong, but this one here is about three foot longer than the other. It draped completely over the first curtain. Verse 9 tells us they were joined together as the first with the exception that one section was doubled in the forefront. When we say doubled in the forefront, it overlapped, you might say, over by the door side. Looking at your picture there, that on the east end by the laver there. As it would fall over, then they would pull it back over the top, and it would double on that forefront or that one side. So that's what the uh, extra section was, as it draped over. You had five sections that formed a curtain. You had this one section that hung out. It was pulled back over the top and doubled over the edge there. Verse 10 and 11 said these sections, as the first had loops on the edges, just like the loops of blue on the first one, these had the same kind of loops and through which these tashes or these clats were placed to tie them together. The only difference in the second curtain is that the clasp on the first curtain was made of gold The clasp on the second curtain was made of brass. Now, again, this curtain completely covered the first curtain. There wasn't anything about the first curtain that you could see from the outside. No way you could see it. It was completely covered. The only way it could be seen and the only one who saw it were those who went on the inside to minister. Now, look at this. Let me just close here real quickly by just pointing out a few things about the goat's hair. The goat's hair is made of goat's hair, and all the colors involved symbolism, we covered those. But look at the goat's hair for itself. The goat is mentioned in the Bible in connection with two things. The goat is mentioned in the Bible in connection with the sin offering, and it's mentioned in the Bible in connection to sinners. You find when you look at goats in the Bible that it's connected to the sin offering and it's connected to sinners. Matthew 25, 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Really, sheep symbolize the believer. Goats symbolize the unsaved person. I'm a sheep in his pasture, aren't you? Amen. Bah, don't grunt on me. Amen. But uh, sheep and goats. But sheep or goats were a symbol of the sinner. But I want to just draw your attention to how goats are connected to the sin offering and how the goat's hair symbolizes Jesus Christ as the divine sin bearer. Jesus Christ and this second curtain that draped over the first one symbolized Christ as the sin bearer. First Peter talked about who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. You when Jesus died, what he was doing in his death was bearing our sins. His suffering, his agony, all of it was part of bearing our sins. Every sin that I've ever committed in the past and every sin that I have committed today and every sin I'll commit tomorrow, every one of them were on Jesus Christ. He bore my sin. But he not only bore my sin, he bore your sin. And not only bore your sin, but he bore the sins of the whole world. Every man that has ever lived and every man that ever will live, he bore their sins. Sins. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, my, one of my favorite verses, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He bore my sin. He became sin that I might be right with God. Now, when you think of Jesus as a sin bearer and connection to this uh, sin offering, you go back to the day of atonement. We had a little lamb here Sunday night. But on the Day of Atonement, there was many offerings that were offered that day, but one of the offerings was a sin offering, and it involved goats. Actually, it involved two goats. They would bring these two goats on the Day of Atonement to the altar. Two different things would be done with the two goats. They symbolized Christ, our sin bearer. The first goat would be slain. Just like a little lamb, like the little lamb you saw Sunday night, a hand would be put upon the head of the little lamb, symbolizing I am placing my sin upon this innocent one. And then a knife in the right hand would be put under the throat, and the throat would be cut, symbolizing my sin and put upon an innocent one, and an innocent one is dying, bearing my sin. Blood would be drained in a little basin and so forth like that. And then the body of that little goat would be carefully dissected and put in order upon the altar and consumed by the fire. And later the ashes would be carried out. That was the first goat. Christ bearing my sin. My sin being placed upon Christ. But what is the glory of Christ being our sin bearer? That's the second goat. The Bible calls it a scapegoat. What they do with the scapegoat, they'd put their hand upon the head of that goat. And it was symbolically saying, I am putting my sin upon this goat. But the exception was they didn't kill this goat. Some fellow qualified or some person that was fit would be chosen to take the gate, the goat out, and what the Bible calls an uninhabited land. They'd take this goat out way out in the wilderness somewhere so far out there that it could never find its way back and leave it out there. And what that symbolized was that one goat died. My sin was born by Christ. He died for my sin. But the goat that went out in the wilderness or carried out in the wilderness symbolized that he's carried my sins away, never to be remembered again. You see, Christ is my sin bearer. All of my sin in the past and all of my sin in the present and all of my sin in the future, they were put on Christ at Calvary's cross. And he bore my sins away. Gone, gone, my sins are gone. You ask me while I'm happy, then I'll just tell you why. It's because my sins are gone. Aren't you glad he carried your sins away? And they'll never be remembered again. J. Wilbur Chapman, one of my favorite evangelists and one of my favorite songwriters, said it so well. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Christ bore my sins, carried my sins away. Two little final points, and I'm through. In the first curtain, there were 10 sections. In the second curtain, there were 11 sections. One course was doubled back and draped over the front part of it. The number 10, for you that are interested in numerology, number 10, the number 10 is the number of division. 
Ten is two sets of five put together. It's a number of division. And when you look at the ten, garment, ten pieces there, it would symbolize that Christ was both God and man. The number 11 is an interesting number. It's a number of disintegration or the number of disorganization. There's no evenness about it. There's no two sets of five that makes ten. It's five and a six. So it's a number of disorganization or disintegration. Jesus as the God-man, totally, as my sin-bearer, as the Bible said, just totally wreaked havoc through hell, and he disorganized all of Satan's plans, and as he said, destroyed him. I want you to know, thank God, he's a defeated foe through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Aren't you glad for that? He is our I don't know about you, but I want to get on the inside and see Jesus in a light that I've never seen him before. Take your prayer sheet tonight. Thank you for listening and for following. And we want to remember these tonight. Our missionary of the week is John and Angie Wheat serving in Australia with Word for the World Baptist Ministries. And so we want to remember them tonight, praying for them. And uh, I get a lot of email from different missionaries in Australia and different ones and as, uh, it's a difficult place to serve God. Let's remember them, be praying for them. And also, I want you to take your pencil or pen and write this name down as a missionary. I want to remember a special request given tonight for Jeff Smith. This is a missionary serving in Scotland. He's about 35 years old, and they've just found a large mass on his brain, and he's to have emergency, emergency surgery this week. So write down the name Jeff Smith a missionary in Scotland. Let's be praying for Jeff and remember him tonight. Our church of the week is our sister church across town, Calvary Baptist Church. They've just recently got a pastor, Brother Steve Robertson. And Brother Steve is a fine fellow. I know he do a great job over there. known Brother Steve for years. And let's remember the church and be praying for them. Alex Padgett in our hospital list. Continue to pray for him. Be moving to Siskins in a few days. Uh, Juanita Warnick at Huntsville Hospital. Bill Perry's been having some more heart trouble this week. They had to put some stents in. But let's remember Bill and, and then Larry Cap Sr. is at Patton House. And then Chris Kilby's grandmother is at uh, the Hamilton Medical Center. I want to be praying for her. So I want you to remember all these things. As you come tonight, I want you to pray. I want you to begin praying now that God will meet all of our needs now for the church and that God will pray that God will give us all wisdom and know where he's going because the Lord has brought us to a place where we'll make the decision either to, to really believe God and, and take a step of faith, the biggest step of faith this church has ever taken in its history, or we will just stay at the status quo. And we don't want to miss what God wants. And so we want to know what he wants. And I know you're excited about where God is taking us and what he's doing, but I want you to pray. I want you to put this on your prayer list, and I want you to begin praying for this. And we've talked about it as men, and I've talked to different ones and talked to some today and different things. We're asking God to give us this property right next door. We, we will have to have it. It's, it's a key to our future. It is absolutely, we, we have a lot of land here as it is. But if we ever do any enlarging or down the road, and we have our goal to build and expand, a three- to five-year goal down the road to do that. But if we ever do it, and we ever do it, and we're going to have to somewhere, 
And I know folks that left Sunday because it was so crowded and they couldn't get in and different things. And that's what will happen at some time. People will get tired of coming and can't find a seat there. So we, we're praying about this land next door is critical to us. And I want you to start praying that God will give it to us. Will you, will you start praying? And I say give it to us. I, if they give it to us, I'll take it. But I'm talking about, and I say give whatever we have to do to buy it or whatever. Uh, I want you to start praying that the Lord will help us to be able to get this property. Will you do that? I've seen God do miracles before. There's a lease on it right now by the present people in there. But uh, still, we're asking God to give it to us. Every day of my life, I carry this burden around because I know it is critical and a key to our future. Without that property next door, we will not be able to expand. It's impossible. So we've got plenty of room. The problem is you've got to have parking. And the parking, and when you build certain types of buildings and so forth like that, you've got to have parking spaces to match the seating capacity of those buildings and whatever there. So that's our problem. We have to have that. That's critical to our future. And when, I don't know when God will give it to us, and whatever like that. But let's begin to ask God for that property. Will you do that? If, at least it's already God's. They don't know it yet, but it belongs to God. Say amen. He had it long before they ever got it. Say amen. amen. And so let's start praying for it. And, uh, and let's pray that God uh, will do it. There's a battery place over right now, but we want to get it where there's real power on it. Say amen right there. So let's start praying for that and start helping us that God will just work in that thing and, and will give us that property. I want you to start praying for that and make it a prayer request because it is essential that we get it. That's the only way we'll ever be able to reach our goals in the future and go any further than what we are. And so we got a street here that wreaks havoc on what we can do with this building and so many things. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a key. So I'm, it's, it's God's, and uh, we just want to know when the Lord, we're just waiting on when He gives it to us. But uh, it's, we, we got a lot of problems around here, but they're good problems. Amen? And we're excited about all these. Let's come. A praying church gets things from God. And as we come tonight, let's pray. Let's pray for the Lord's day. Let's pray for a mighty moving of God on the Lord's day. Let's pray that God will help us to continue to reach people. Pray for our faith teams as they go out tomorrow night. A lot of folks to visit, number of people to visit. Most everybody that filled out a visitor's card, I called them all on Sunday afternoon. Great response from them. We're going to follow up on them tomorrow night. Let's, I want you to, uh, let's pray for these. Let's pray now for our Missionary of the Week, our Church of the Week, and for these special, special requests. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are our sin barrier, that you bore our sins and carried our sins far away. We thank you, Lord, for it. Father, we ask you to help us to walk with you and to live in the presence of God so that we are captured with the glory of the person of Jesus Christ to enjoy things about Christ and to see Christ in a way that only those who walk with you have the privilege of seeing. That's what we want, Lord. We ask you to help us in the touches and to meet every need. Now, Father, we pray now for the Wheat family serving in Australia. I pray for the opening of the hearts of the gospel in that country and in the area where they're serving. We pray tonight for... Uh, this dear missionary that's just found out with a brain tumor, Jeff Smith, we pray for him. 
Be with him now, Lord, as he will be having surgery and meet every need. Bless Calvary Baptist and the new pastor. Bless the work there. Do wonderful things for them. Give them a great moving of God in that place. And then, Lord, for the special requests that are mentioned, thank you for answering prayer. Many of the names have been on here for weeks. It's off tonight, and we rejoice. But we pray for these others, and you're able to touch them. Pray you'd meet the need. Father, we ask you to bless this church, and we ask you the hand of God be upon it. And, Father, that you'd provide for us. Lord, you know the things we're asking for. And, Father, things that we ask for because they are essential to what you will do in the future here. Father, help us to realize as a body of believers that you've blessed us and you've brought us to a point where we'll either go on or we'll back down. We ask you, Lord, to help us to have the vision to go on and the faith to trust God and to claim the promises of God to go on. We've been brought, to, we've been brought Lord, you brought us to a place where we're going to have to pray in things. We're going to have to pray for miracles. We're going to have to pray and seek God and see the hand of God move. So, Lord... It's really thrilling where you brought us. It's real exciting to be brought to a place where we have to see you do things and only you'll get the glory for. And so we ask you for these things. Lord, we do pray for the property next door. Father, we ask you, Lord, to give it to us. You know we need it. It's your work. And we pray, Lord, that you would just provide it for us. Put it in our hearts to pray. Now, on the Lord's day, I pray you touch I pray, God, when we meet here on Sunday, may the glory of God be real, the power of God be evident. May people come to Christ. May things happen on the Lord's day. Continue to move. Be with folks as we go out tomorrow night. And may we see folks saved. We ask you to bless now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.